is up and welcome to the Beyond the Arc with Brandon Silver's Halloween special, Beyond the Dark. Okay, that was terrible, but I am your host, Brandon Silver's Happy Halloween. I don't know about you, but I'm a big Halloween fan, despite my costume game being so terrible, but I love the candy, like the Reese's Pumpkins. I love scary movies. I try to consume as much of both as possible all month long. And I'm consuming a lot of sports as well because we have so many of them going on. The NBA season's finally started. The NFL season's about at the halfway mark. The World Series is going on. It's incredible. So for our first Halloween together, I want to tell you some super scary Tales from the Crypt type stories inspired by what's going on in the sports world. So let's get into it. First up, we've got a twist on the W.W. Jacobs classic, The Monkey's Paw. Be careful what you wish for, because you just might get it. Outside, the night was cold and wet, but inside the small living room, the curtains were closed and the fire burned brightly. The boy glanced back and forth between the television and the door. Where could he be, Mom? The boy asked. The game is about to start. A woman glanced up from her magazine. Patience, my child. He's on the way. A knock at the door. The woman smiled. The boy sprinted to open it. Uncle, he shouted, throwing his arms around the tall, wiry man. The man offered a smile, but his eyes were troubled and weary. You almost missed tip-off, the boy continued. I wouldn't miss it for the world. It's good to be back around some familiar faces, the man said. Welcome back, brother, the woman exclaimed as she threw her arms around him. We can't wait to hear about all your travels. At halftime, the boy interjected. The weariness deepened in the man's eyes. Ah, yes, of course, at halftime, the man responded. They settled in to watch the game. Magic to Worthy. Worthy at the buzzer. Yes, the announcer bellowed. And with that, the Los Angeles Lakers take a 14-point lead into the half. Another beer, the woman asked. Yes, please, the man responded, looking slightly more relaxed than when he arrived. Okay, uncle, I want to hear all about it. Did you find any hidden treasures, the boy asked. No, the man scoffed. No treasure, unless you value seasickness. What about the monkey's paw you wrote about? The woman asked, returning with the beer. The man groaned. Nothing to tell, really. Monkey's paw? Said the boy curiously. Well, it's just a bit of what you might call magic, perhaps, said the man without first stopping to think. Magic? The boy exclaimed. To look at it, said the man, feeling about in his pocket. It's just an ordinary little paw, dried to a mummy. He took something out of his pocket and held it out for them. The woman drew back with a look of disgust, but her son, taking it, examined it curiously. And what is there special about it? Asked the woman as she took it from her son, and having examined it, placed it upon the table. It had a spell put on it by an old shaman, said the man, a very holy man. He wanted to show that fate ruled people's lives, and that those who tried to change it would be sorry. He put a spell on it so that three different men could each have three wishes from it. The way he told the story showed that he truly believed it, and his listeners became aware that their light laughter was out of place and had hurt him a little. Well, why don't you have three, uncle, said the boy cleverly. The man looked at him in the way that the middle-aged usually look at disrespectful youth. I have, he said quietly, and his face whitened. And did you really have the three wishes granted, asked the woman. I did, said the man, and his beer bottle tapped against his strong teeth. And has anybody else wished, continued the woman. The first man had his three wishes, yes, he replied. 
I don't know what the first two were, but the third was for death. That's how I got the paw. His voice was so serious that the group fell quiet. If you've had your three wishes, it's no good to you now then, uncle, said the boy at last. What do you keep it for? The man shook his head. Memories, I suppose, he said slowly. I did have some idea of selling it, but I don't think I will. It has caused me enough trouble already. Besides, people won't buy it. They think it's just a story, some of them. And those who do think anything of it want to try it first and pay me afterwards. If you could have another three wishes, asked the boy, watching him carefully, would you have them? I don't know, said the man. I don't know. He took the paw and holding it between his front finger and thumb, suddenly threw it upon the fire. The boy, with a slight cry, quickly bent down and took it off. Better let it burn, said the man sadly, but in a way that let them know he believed it to be true. If you don't want it, uncle, said the boy, give it to me. I will not, said the man with stubborn determination. I threw it on the fire. If you keep it, don't hold me responsible for what happens. Throw it on the fire like you've got some sense. The boy shook his head and examined his possession closely. How do you do it, he asked. Hold it up in your right hand and state your wish out loud so that you can be heard, said the man. But I warn of you what might happen. Sounds like the Arabian Nights, said the woman as she rose and began to set the dinner table. Don't you think you might wish for a new pair of Jordans? The boy drew the talisman from his pocket, and they both laughed loudly as the man, with a look of alarm on his face, caught him by the arm. If you must wish, he demanded, wish for something sensible. The boy dropped it back in his pocket and, placing chairs, motioned his uncle to the table. In the business of dinner and the rest of the game, the talisman was partly forgotten, and afterward, the boy and his mother sat fascinated as they listened to more of the uncle's adventures in India. The boy laid in his bed that night, thinking about all that had transpired that evening. He got up and retrieved the monkey's paw from his dresser. Holding it in his right hand, he said confidently, I wish to become the greatest basketball player ever. The monkey's paw curled. He looked around. Nothing had changed. Perhaps his uncle had played a prank on him. He laid back down and drifted off to sleep. The sound of an alarm jolted the boy awake. As he rubbed the sleep from his eyes, he couldn't help but notice that everything felt different. He made his way to the bathroom. That's when he saw it. In the mirror was the reflection of a man who looked to be bigger, faster, and stronger than he could imagine any man being. Could it be? He hurriedly got dressed and sprinted out the door to head to the gym, tossing the monkey's paw into his gym bag to see if it could possibly have happened, only to be met by a driver who motioned him in. He obeyed, and off he went to his first NBA game. And this happened over and over and over again. The boy, now a man, was the best player in the NBA. It was better than he could have dreamt, until it wasn't. You see, no matter what he did, he could not quit playing basketball. Days turned into weeks, weeks turned into months, months turned into years, and so on and so forth. He had lost count of how long it had been. His hair was graying and patchy. His feet were tired. But worst of all, he was bored out of his mind. There must be something else to life, he shouted to nobody in particular. And then he remembered. He dashed to the closet and started searching with the fervor of a beagle chasing a scent. Deep in the recesses of the closet, he found it. He grasped the monkey's paw in his right hand and looked around the mansion his basketball riches had afforded him. He thought for a moment, not wanting to give everything up. Then he was struck by an idea. 
he shouted, I wish to be a movie star. The monkey's paw curled. But again, nothing changed. Exhausted from both basketball and his search for the paw, he made his way to his bed, defeated, where he drifted off to sleep. Again, he was awakened by the sound of an alarm. He groggily sat up and looked around. Everything felt just a bit different. The sun was shining brightly through the windows. Recalling the events of the previous day, he excitedly whispered to himself, it's happened. He ran downstairs and out the door, only to be met with his usual driver. He thought nothing of it. Movie stars have drivers too, he told himself, and off they went. Much to his delight, they arrived at a movie set. He went through every line and every scene as though he'd done it a million times before, as though he was a movie star. He sat in his trailer after the day had wrapped up when he heard a knock on the door. Sir, the voice on the other side implored, it's time to go. We're going to be late for the game. It could not be. Yet it was. The cycle continued, except now he made movies as well. Over and over, day after day, dribbling, shooting, rehearsing, filming. He was exhausted, yet he could quit neither. Finally, one day, he reached his breaking point. He needed it to end. He dug up the monkey's paw and pondered for a moment. What shall he wish for that will allow him to keep all the fame and fortune he's amassed, but also bring peace? He mustn't waste his final wish. Finally, he had it. I wish for help, he cried. The monkey's paw curled. He had already anticipated nothing happening immediately, so he headed off to bed. The sound of an alarm jolted him. Wait, he was already sitting upright. And that wasn't an alarm. It was a whistle. He was on the bench. Confused, he looked around. How did he get here? The ref motioned the players onto the court. He rose from the bench and looked down at his uniform. Nothing new there. What was going on? He looked up at the scoreboard. His team was down by two with only seconds left. He remembered none of the coach's words, but he was unconcerned. He'd been doing this for as long as he could remember. Everything was instinct now. He received the inbounds pass and surveyed the court, then the crowd. He felt like he could hear every single sound from his own heart beating, to the crowd imploring him to go, to the TV announcers calling the game. Standing at the top of the key, he heard one of them say. He looked his defender up and down, then made his move like he had a million times before. Another defender headed towards him. Three seconds left, double team on the way, the announcer said. He picked up his dribble and all in one motion with the pass to a teammate now left unguarded behind the three-point line. The ball hit his teammate perfectly in his hands. His teammate rose up to shoot. Everything slowed down. Again, he heard the announcer. From the announcer's lips came the scariest phrase he'd ever heard. A phrase that stopped him cold in his tracks and sent a chill down his spine. Westbrook shoots the three. Quite the frightful tale for Lakers fans like myself. Be careful what you wish for, and more importantly, be careful who you trade for. LeBron, you did it to yourself. All right, next up, 
We have a story about a young FBI trainee on a search for one serial killer, but to find him, she must interview another incarcerated cannibalistic serial killer. Let's look at the modern sports version of the 1991 film, Silence of the Lambs. The young woman sits across from one of the most feared men in the world, separated by only the bars on the cell door. Hello, she greets him. My name is Clarice Starling. May I speak with you? You're one of Jack Crawford's, aren't you? The man sneers, referencing her boss. Yes, I am, she responds. May I see your credentials, he asks. She pulls the badge from her coat pocket and holds it up. Closer, he says sternly. She edges forward. Closer, he yells. She swallows down her fear and thrusts the badge towards the bars. He stares at it perplexed. That expires in a week, he says. You're not real FBI, are you? I'm still in training, she says, as she fights to stop her lip from quivering. Jack Crawford sent a trainee to me, he asks, both confused and offended. She steadies herself. Yes, I'm a student. I'm here to learn from you. He stares deep into her soul, a stare that gives her a chill she's never felt before. Sit, please, he says. She eases into the cold metal chair. She glances at the wall behind him. There are several meticulously detailed drawings. Sensing an opportunity to ease the tension, she asks, Did you do all these drawings? Ah, he gasps. That is the Space Needle, 605 feet tall. It was built in the Seattle Center for the 1962 World's Fair. It was once the tallest structure west of the Mississippi. All that detail just from memory, sir? She asks, half impressed, half trying to keep the attention off herself. Memories, Agent Starling, are all I have now, he answers cryptically. You must be here about Buffalo Bill. Tell me, Agent Starling, why do they call him Buffalo Bill? She decides to indulge him. Well, sir, it started off as a bad joke in Kansas City homicide. They said, this one likes to skin his humps. This tidbit excites him. And why do you think he removes their skin, Agent Starling? Impress me with your acumen. Most serial killers keep some sort of trophy from their victim, she responds, as though answering a question in one of her classes at Quantico. I didn't, he hisses. No, you ate yours, she shoots back, before realizing what she's done. He looks both pained and amused. Oh, Agent Starling, he exhales. You thought you could dissect me with this little blunt tool? You're so ambitious, aren't you? Do you know what you look like with your good bag and your cheap shoes, he continues? You look like a rube, a well-scrubbed, hustling rube with little taste. Good nutrition's given you length of bone, but you're not more than one generation from poor white trash, are you? And that accent you've tried so desperately to shed, pure West Virginia, raised to care about faith, family, and football in that order. Why, you could only dream of getting out, getting anywhere, getting all the way to the FBI. Shaken, she responds, you see a lot, but are you strong enough to point that high-powered perception at yourself? What about it? Why don't you look at yourself and write down what you see? Or maybe you're afraid to. Afraid, Agent Starling, he laughs. Afraid of what? Danger? I am dangerous, Agent Starling. Listen, one time, he trails off. Never mind. That's too dangerous. But I will tell you, a census taker once tried to test me. I cut out his kidney and put it on my danger witch. That's my signature sandwich. It's dangerously good. 
Be careful, though. It's spicy. He stands. You fly to Subway, where it's available for a limited time now, little starling. Fly, fly, fly. Wow, that was a truly scary one. Almost as scary as a pipe bursting in your kitchen, flooding the majority of your home, forcing people to come in, rip up most of your flooring, put a bunch of fans around so it doesn't mold, having all this activity irritate your sinuses, forcing you outside for any reshoots you may deem necessary, hoping your audience doesn't notice, the cars driving by, the yard work, your left nostril, completely non-functional. But anyway, I digress. Russell Wilson, weird dude, displays a lot of the behaviors of a serial killer, although I'm not accusing him of anything. On the Broncos flight to play in London, Russ was talking about how for a lot of the flight, he was in the aisle doing calisthenics to stay loose. If I had been on that flight, I would have turned that man into D.B. Cooper immediately after finishing my complimentary ginger ale and Biscoff cookies. Moving on, it is time for a twist, a sports twist, on every English teacher's favorite, the Edgar Allan Poe classic, The Telltale Heart. So, thanks for sticking around and enjoy our final scary story. It's true. Yes, I have been ill. Very ill. But why do you say that I have gone mad? Can you not see that I have full control of my mind? Is it not clear that I am not mad? Indeed, the illness only made my mind, my feelings, my senses stronger, more powerful. I could see things I could not see before. I could feel things I had never felt before. I could hear sounds I had never heard before. I heard sounds from heaven. I heard sounds from hell. Listen, listen, and I will tell you how it happened. You will see. You will hear how healthy my mind is. It is impossible to say how the idea first entered my head. There was no reason for what I did. I did not hate the game. I even loved it. It had never hurt me. I didn't do it for money. I didn't do it for fame. I sat in that room and planned, and planned, and planned. They had no clue what was coming, but I did. The men had no way to stop it. I just felt like I had to do it, and so I did. And to be honest, it was the perfect crime, almost, almost, at times driving me mad. Will I get caught? Is it worth it? There were times I wanted to rip my shirt off, but I did not. I could not. But I'll be damned if I didn't get good at it. My hand moved more quickly than the hand of a clock. Never before had I felt so strongly my own power. I was now sure of success. But suddenly, they became suspicious. You may think I became afraid, but no. The darkness in the room was thick and black. I knew they could not see. They would peer in and cry, who's there? But I stood quite still. For what seemed like hours, I would not move. Their suspicions remained, but they pressed on, as did I. Two beings seemingly bound by fate, a fate I desired to change. They could not see, but I could. And I waited until I did. Was it? Could it be? It was the moment I had been waiting for. Adrenaline rocketing through my veins like the waters in Galveston. My grip tightened on the club. Boom, 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 the sound echoing through the night. The night responded, thwack. My mission had been a success. Have I not told you that my hearing had become unusually strong? Now I could hear a quick, low, soft sound, like the sound of a clock heard through a wall, like the beating of an old man's heart. I tried to stand quietly, 
and the sound grew louder. Boom, boom, boom. The men's suspicion must have been great indeed. And as the sound grew louder, my anger became greater and more painful. But it was more than anger. In the quiet night, in the dark silence of the room, my anger became fear. For the sound was so loud that I was sure someone must hear. Boom, boom, boom. So I am mad, you say? You should have seen how careful I was to hide what I had done. I pulled up three of the boards that formed the floor and put the pieces there. Then I put the boards down again carefully, so carefully that no human eye could see that they had been moved. As I finished this work, I heard that someone was at the door. It was now four o'clock in the morning, but still dark. I had no fear, however, as I went down to open the door. Three men were at the door, three investigators. One of the suspicious men had heard the commotion and had called them. These three had come to ask questions, to search the room. I asked them to come in. The noise, I said, was my own in a fall. Boom, boom, boom. I took them through the room, telling them to search it all, to search well. As if playing a game with them, I asked them to sit down and talk for a while. My easy, quiet manner made the investigators believe my story. So they sat talking with me in a friendly way. But although I answered them in the same way, I soon wished that they would go. My head hurt, and there was a strange sound in my ears. Boom, boom, boom. I talked more and faster. The sound became clearer. Boom, boom, boom. And still they sat and talked. Suddenly I knew that the sound was not in my ears. It was not just inside my head. At that moment, I must have become quite white. I talked still faster and louder, and the sound too became louder. Boom, boom, boom. It was a quick, low thudding sound, like the sound of a clock heard through a wall, a sound I knew well. Louder it became and louder. Why did the men not go? Louder, louder, boom, boom, boom. I stood up and walked quickly around the room. I pushed my chair across the floor to make more noise to cover that terrible sound. I talked even louder, and still the men sat and talked and smiled. Was it possible that they could not hear? No, they heard. I was certain of it. They knew. Now it was they who were playing a game with me. I was suffering more than I could bear from their smiles and from that sound. Louder, louder, louder. Boom, boom, boom. Suddenly I could bear it no longer. I pointed at the boards and cried, yes, yes, I did it. Pull up the boards and you shall see the trash can I used to win the 2017 World Series. <gasps> Wow, that was truly terrifying. And what a coincidence, the Astros are in the World Series this year. I'm sure they didn't cheat at all to do that, right? So anyways, this has been the Beyond the Ark with Brandon Silver's Halloween special, Beyond the Dark. Thank you for listening and watching, even though I just did that. I'm sure my neighbors are impressed as well. Thank you for continuing to support me. Don't forget to like, rate, subscribe, share, all that, and I will catch you next week.